Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the interests and actions of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Jonathan Maring, is a renowned photographer and director. He has been shooting iconic skateboarders all over the world for over 15 years and has contributed to many publications and brands in and out of the skateboarding industry. In recent times, he directed the documentary Walls Cannot Keep Us From Flying, focused on two young skateboarding instructors at youth empowerment program Skate Kilia in Palestine. The film will be released in the first few months of 2022. So here's my conversation with Jonathan Maring. I hope you'll enjoy it. again for chatting with me for a little bit and um, uh, so yeah so I usually start the, these um, interviews just by you know the guest introducing himself or herself uh, and uh, so yeah can you maybe take me a little bit behind the scenes on just pretty much how, how you started skateboarding and how, where you grew up and everything I know that you're yeah. right now you're, you're living between I, I guess you're in Richmond but you you go to New York a lot because it's not too far right so Exactly. Yeah, we're we're a split in our time, but we're primarily based in Richmond right now. Okay. So it's just both my wife and I have so much work up in New York that it's like we're just bouncing back and forth all the time, which it's not too bad, actually. The flight's super mellow. The drive is not too bad either. So, But I actually grew up in Virginia, not far from here. So, you know, between the pandemic and having a baby, it was just like... And also, we wanted to buy a house someday, and New York City is pretty prohibitive in that oh yeah in that regard sure. so yeah we just we we jumped for the opportunity down here and and uh it's definitely it's working out where were so. you living in uh in new york were you in uh, manhattan or we were in brooklyn uh in greenpoint okay. brooklyn yeah 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 I, i used to live there for a little bit oh, yeah? so yeah yeah not, not very long but like um I, i spent two years in new york between 2011 and 2013 and i actually oh, okay. lived in greenpoint i don't remember the crossing streets but I, it was right by the I think the Greenpoint Ave uh, uh, subway stop. Oh man, we were right, we were neighbors. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I loved living out there. It was so fun. It was really yeah. cool. I was so bummed yeah. to leave. I, I didn't have a visa anymore, so I had to come back here. But uh, I see. And so now you're in Richmond. So now we're in Richmond. Yeah. Um, is that is that where you grew up actually, or? I grew up in the in like the county in the in the country in the sticks. I call it. Um, outside of charlottesville virginia which is now known for race riots <laughs> a few oh, years yeah, ago yeah, yeah. uh which That's is right. super unfortunate but it is what it is um but yeah i grew up about half an hour from there out in the country and you know i i guess skateboarding for me was like kind of an escape because i guess it's weird i, I was i was I had like periods where I was into the outdoors and stuff, but I, I was always drawn to cities and, and I felt kind of trapped uh, in a way. Mm -hmm. And so skating was like my ticket to the big city and, and like my way out kind of. Yeah, yeah. Of course, now I appreciate it a lot more for what it is. But anyway, yeah, I always kind of had my I had my eye on on New York and, or also kind of California for a time, but mostly New York. 
you know, ever since high school. And I started skating, like, I don't know, I was probably like 10 years old or something. And my friend actually had a skateboard and I, he, he gave me a hand-me-down, but for a while there we were sharing the board. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his, what it was, was he was a, a kid who lived up the road from where I grew up and when his parents got divorced, he moved to Charlottesville and he got into skating. And so then he would come out to visit on weekends and, and bring his board and then we would go back and forth in the basement, which was the only concrete available. <laughs> and so we would just go back and forth like 20 feet, like trying to learn to ollie and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was like a tennis court, like a couple miles down the road. And so my parents would like drive me down to the tennis court because I grew up on a dirt road. So you couldn't really skate on the dirt road. Well, <laughs> Although yeah. I, I did try. Because <laughs> 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 after, if you waited long enough, the gravel would get all brushed to the side from the cars and it would become like kind of smooth. <laughs> Yeah, somewhat skatable. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> On a dry day. <laughs> yeah, as long as it hasn't rained. <laughs> but And then at the tennis court, there was this piece of a railroad track that was probably like four feet long. I, I don't know where it was from, but I found it like in the ditch and somehow I dragged it up like one end at a time onto the tennis court and I would like board slide it and stuff. But Yeah, yeah. your first <laughs> flat bar. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But eventually, you know, I started going to Charlottesville to skate and then, you know, met, you know, like in high school and friends had cars and, and then we would go to Richmond to skate or we go to D.C. We would spend a lot of weekends in D.C. skating Pulaski and stuff like that. So that okay. was only a couple hours. So that wasn't too bad. Well, so, so, so it's kind of right between New York City and, and D.C., Charlottesville? Or? It's no, it's south of D.C. So D.C. is between New York and, and Charlottesville. OK, yeah. OK. Charlottesville to D.C. is like two hours, you know, so D.C. to New York is like four hours. Okay, I, I thought it was closer because I, I went to D.C. once from New York, but it, but I took the train, so it was like a, maybe an hour or two. The hours, train is actually remember. the best way. It's probably, it's probably like two and change or something, but yeah, that's the way to go for sure because you hit traffic and like, but weirdly, because of the way the highways are from Richmond to New York is actually faster. Like it's like five hours as opposed to going from Charlottesville. It would be like six to eight depending on traffic. <laughs> yeah, wow. Damn. Yeah, so... Uh, it's definitely a better positioned place to be here, you know, but it's also, I don't know, we can sort of consider going back to Charlottesville, but it's just, I don't know, too, like, it felt like a regression, you know what I mean? Like going, going back to my hometown. Yeah, um, yeah, I understand. But both my wife and I went to school, we went to college here in Richmond, so. That's right, yeah, that's where you studied photography, right? Yep, yeah, so we both have a lot of friends still in the area and everything. Okay, yeah, so it made sense uh, that you would settle down there. And... Yeah, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. And to go back to skateboarding, so when, when you first started, so around 10 years old, were, were you already shooting photos at this point, or did that come a little bit later? No, I pretty much got into photography because of skating. Yeah, there was like a teacher that, I think my parents must have met her or something, and they were like, why don't you take a photography class? And I was like, really? I was like, yeah, I guess, why not? Um, you know, I was actually not doing too well in high school, so, mm -hmm. like, as time went on, I came in as, like, a B student, and then by, like, junior year, I was, like, a D student, and so I, <laughs> and then I found photography, and then all my grades went back up, but, yeah, it was just kind of, like, finding something I was interested in, you know? 
Yeah, and good at obviously. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I had some natural talent at it, so that was like a, a big part of it because I hadn't really had natural talent in other areas at school. So yeah, I was like, I got super into it. I would show up like an hour early to print in the dark room and stay after school like an hour, you know. And my friends and I would also like sign each other out. We like write fake teachers' notes to get out of school <laughs> early and then go skating. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like cool. that was mostly senior year, I guess, of high school, but. Probably like one one day a week or something, or maybe two sometimes, we would like sign each other out and then we'd just drive into Charlottesville and go skate for the rest of the day. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, cool. Did you aspire to like have a, have a career uh, in skateboarding or did you always just uh, keep it as a as a more of a passion slash hobby and, and, and focus more on photography or... I, at that time, I didn't really think about it too much. Like I knew that photography was a career path. And so I was like, this kind of, this, this makes sense. And then, but I didn't really know or think about like, you need to focus on like a subject or, or like a style or a, a genre, you know, but I didn't really think about that. I was just, I was just around skaters. And so I was like, well, I have my camera. It's a no brainer, you know, and it's fun. It's fun to like try to freeze action, you know, that's like a yeah. enjoyable process. So, and finding like, I mean, at first I would just do like the wackiest angles that I could think of, you know, like <laughs> I, <laughs> you have to experiment before you find like the proper yeah. way to do it and stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like my friend ollieing over his brother or like, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like oh, I remember once is my friend was pretty, he had like a lot of pop, you know, he thought he was pretty uh -huh. good and he was front side nose sliding the side of a picnic table. Okay. And I wanted to like put the lens at the very end of the picnic table. So of course his board shot oh, yeah. out and like, <laughs> I actually, I, I somehow saved it, but he smashed my finger against it like super oh. hard. <laughs> Ouch. That the photo, hurt, yeah. I was like, wow, this photo is kind of sick, but I won't be trying that angle again. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> but they were all, honestly, all those photos were trash because of my gear. I had like the cheapest lenses and they're just so, they're so fuzzy, you know, but anyway, it was, it was a good time do you still have photos from that whole period of, uh, that whole yeah, time yeah i mean i uh i've been trying to get this like copy stand uh situation rigged up so i can like digitize all my old stuff but it's it's just slow going but um i'm still in the testing phase for like getting my lighting dialed and everything but like um yeah i have all that stuff somewhere it's all in boxes like packed up and and, and binders and everything so i haven't thrown anything away You should uh, you should share some on your Instagram or something. That would yeah, be fun. Yeah. Uh, once I get the once I get it dialed, I'm gonna definitely do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like share, share it with the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you studied photography in Richmond then, or or I mean in, in Virginia. I don't know if it was in Richmond, uh, in the city of Richmond, but uh... yeah, I went to high school like outside of Charlottesville in the county, and that's where I started it. And then I was that was basically the only thing that I was good at. Although I really enjoyed physics. And so I was like, should I go into physics or should I go into photography? And, but my, I actually really struggled in physics, but I really loved it. So I chose photography because I figured that I should be getting A's in physics if I was going to be a yeah, physicist. Yeah, if you were really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like to become an engineer or something like that? or I, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was fun. A lot of it had to do with the teacher who was, looked like, like a, He was in like the Hell's Angels or something, but he was like this <laughs> this physicist dude, and he was a, such a weird guy. His act, incidentally, his wife was the photography teacher, um, but he used to eat a Snickers candy bar for lunch and eat it with a knife and a fork. 
<laughs> I've seen this in a movie sometimes. I don't. Yeah, but it's yeah. It's funny that she say that. Okay. Yeah. So kind of an odd uh, character. Yeah. 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 And we used to do these psychotic problems where he would be like, a plane is flying at like all these specs, speed, height, weight, and and like whatever. And then it suddenly crashes. It suddenly falls out of the sky, lands on a highway, and collides with a water truck going this fast and weighing this much and then it's like what direction does the wreckage slide how far and how much does it heat the water wow <laughs> and it would take you like two pages of calculations to figure it out and i was like yeah. this, i thought it was super awesome but but uh it was exceedingly difficult at the same time but anyway yeah photography was definitely the kind of the clear choice and so i was just wondering what made you pick up a, a camera rather than um like um a video camera yeah video camera yeah that's what i mean Incidentally, I did get a video camera first, but I got, well, two things happened. One is my friends were really inconsistent. And so I got really tired of being stuck at the bottom of the stairs, waiting for someone to land the trick, you know, which yeah. I mean, even in stills, <laughs> yeah, that happens too. But as time went on, my friends got better and better. <laughs> but um, so that was part of it. And then also the image quality was just so much worse than stills, especially, you know, back then. Yeah. And I just, it's just not fun to look at the footage, you know what I mean? Unless it's like a finished video piece, but like looking, like logging the footage and, and all that, like just looking, like it was so much more fun to go in the dark room and see something that looks super, super crispy, magically appear on paper, you know? I mean, that was just so mm -hmm. like romantic, you know? So that was, I guess, another thing. And then also we got arrested for skating at the University of Virginia and part of my punishment was they took my video camera away my parents did oh okay yeah <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so no more uh, no more filming <laughs> and then yeah i think i actually had to sell it to my parents in order to pay for the court fees and stuff like that oh wow <laughs> so then it was like their camera okay <laughs> so i was like well i guess i'm not doing the videos that career path is done <laughs> <laughs> pretty harsh it was pretty harsh actually yeah. but <laughs> Anyhow, um, so yeah, you stuck to photography. So I stuck to the stills, and and also like I knew that photography at the time, like in the '90s, photography was like a really kind of romanticized, epic career path. You know, like a video camera guy was not really talked about. You mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. except yeah, obviously skate videos were a big thing, but in like the bigger picture, I guess. But anyhow, yeah, that's that's basically what happened. And um, did you want to study, um, like to sorry to work? as a skate photographer as you were starting uh, your your edu education or or were you kind of thinking of going into other areas of photography i was definitely focused on skating but i don't think i can i i didn't know even back then even at the end of high school i was like i don't know like i'm just going to be a photographer whatever and at the same time i'm going to try to get my friends into the mag <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if my friends could be in Thrasher or Transworld or Slap or like whatever, you know? So like I started just sending in photos because I knew that you could do that because in the, I had subscriptions to all the mags and in the beginning in the masthead, it had like for submissions, send your pictures to this address or whatever. So I just started mailing them in and, uh, you know, and I continued doing this until, you know, through college and then in school... I mean, I guess I, I kind of thought I would be a, some kind of a commercial photographer. I didn't really think I would be a skate photographer until I think I got a picture published in Slap Magazine. Okay. And so that was like maybe my 
toward the end of college, and it was a picture of my friend skating in Charlottesville on this ledge that we used to call it the New York Grinder because it was like it looked this one block looked like New York City. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was like a brick building, and it had this this like wooden bench that was like part of a loading dock from like a hundred years ago, and you could like skate the wooden part because it was like a step up to get on the loading dock. And he's back tailing it, and that was my first picture in slap. And so, so very first photo, skate photo published. It was actually my second, oh, my okay. first photo. I was also going. They had these contest series called Beast of the East, and so I would go to these contests and like sneak onto the floor and like try to shoot photos during practice and stuff. And okay. I got randomly a photo of Chris Cole doing a Benny Han out of fakie on a quarter pipe. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and that and I knew Thrasher was doing a story on the contest because they had a photographer there. And uh anyway I sent in my picture of Chris Cole and that ended up being the opening spread for the article. Wow. That's pretty sick. Wow. <laughs> and I was super stoked. So random. Um, yeah, super <laughs> random. I was like, holy crap. But it still wasn't my friend. You know, I didn't know Chris Cole. I just like got lucky and then uh the next photo I sent to slap. Oh, the other thing, too, was the, the brick wall that was in the background. It said gallery promenade painted on the wall. And if you remember, slap had a page called gallery at the back that was like an artsy two page horizontal. And so I sent it in. And, and I think because, partly because it, mostly maybe because it said gallery on the picture, they ran it as a gallery, you know, and and I was like, oh, my God, like this is so awesome. Mm -hmm. And then also like uh, Joe Brooke called me mm -hmm. and he was like hey after it came out it was a surprise but he was like hey keep sending your stuff in like we really like it and then i think they may have even sent me like five rolls of film or something oh cool and so i was like holy crap they're sending me free film like this is insane and so i did like a bunch of story pitches for them that were like pretty weak but then they didn't run any of them <laughs> <laughs> but i it, they kept being encouraging you know they saw that you were promising talents, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And awesome. the other mags, like, I mean, Grant Britton did send me, like, this kind of stock uh, piece of paper that's, like, how to take skate photos that I think he sends to, like, I, I don't know if he sends it to everyone or sent it to everyone, but he's, you know, it was, a, it, other people have definitely gotten the same thing, you know, and actually it was somewhat helpful at that like point. Like a sort of guide or? A guide. I knew a lot of the info at that time, but I also didn't know all of it. And then also Ted Newsom was uh, shooting photos back then. And he was, he like drew this diagram of like how certain lenses work and which I think I even still have somewhere, but that was like super eye opening. And he told me how to like use flashes like properly. And this is a little bit before even maybe, but in retrospect, maybe I should have uh, started submitting to Transworld, but as far as the career path goes, but um, mm -hmm. I, I liked Slap. It was like, I always kind of root for the underdog and it was like the underdog mag. And, and also it had like Gaberman was shooting for them. I think O'Mealy was there. And I was just like, dang, like my favorite photographers are shooting at Slap. So I'm going to go there. More, more attracted to uh, yeah. what they were doing. And it was yeah. like the artsy mag. It wasn't so polished, you know? And uh, anyway, I just, I like that aspect of it too. So sure. I, I think I, I did like a, a Richmond skate scene article, which they didn't go with. And then I did like a, a road trip story where my two friends and I, after we graduated, we saved up like, I think we had $500 each. And actually I was working valet at, at a hotel in downtown Richmond. And I think I saved up $2,000 
and I bought, or maybe it was a uh, fifteen hundred. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But whatever, it was enough basically to buy the Nikon fisheye, which was like oh, yeah. legit. Because I had like some off-brand lens before that, and I knew I needed like a sharp fisheye, and I had I had like a decent like couple other lenses. But anyhow, so I saved up. I spent like you know sixty or seventy percent of the money on the fisheye, and then I had five hundred dollars left over to drive cross country for a month. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. And so we each each of us had 500 bucks and I did all the math for gas and stuff which back then was so cheap but I think we had enough to stay in hotels on 3 nights. And so we camped crazy. we camped the rest of the time. What what year was that? Do you remember? 2000. But I want to say gas was like under $2 a gallon. Okay, okay. Yeah, but still, I mean, $500. It was definitely like dirtbag like, living for sure. Yeah, oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> We, and we were all vegetarian, so, like, we, we would, like, go to the grocery store, and this is so gross, but we would, like, we would buy tortillas, a can of refried beans, and a head of iceberg lettuce, and just make burritos <laughs> cold. Wow. <laughs> Hustling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, like, those cold bean burritos, and then, and then like, we'd splurge on, like, Subway, because they had, like, a vegetarian <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> it's pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, it was fun, though. And you made it. You, you made it to California then. We did. And my, but my story idea was that I would, all the pro skaters we were certain to meet, I would photograph them and then I would pitch that as the, like, I did this road trip and I met all these pros. That was like my story idea. Of course, we did not meet any pros. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Although we did meet some amateurs who would become pro, but it wasn't enough for a story in the magazine. But anyway, Adam Alfaro was one of the guys I shot a picture oh, yeah. of. Yeah, I remember him, yeah. And the other guy was, um, I didn't even remember this, but James Brockman. Oh, yeah. Uh, Skates for Zero, right? Yeah, Yeah. I have a picture of him, or a sequence of him, doing a tray flip lip slide on, like, a skate park handrail. And he's, like, a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I just found it the other day, and I was like, whoa. I don't remember this at all, but I do recognize the name. I haven't actually met him since then. He probably doesn't remember either, you know, but like anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. super random. And then uh, I think oh, DJ Chavez was somebody who was kind of like an amateur for a while. And then I think it became like the Baker team manager for a bit. And then some other, who knows, other people. But it's just funny to look back at that stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, incidentally, too, my car was such a beater that like it would overheat, especially going through like Arizona and like the Rocky Mountains and oh, stuff. Yeah. Sure. And so we'd have to pull over like every hour and like wait like 20 minutes for the engine to cool down so i have all these pictures of us parked on the side of the interstate with the hood open (laughs) okay 20 more minutes it was slow going yeah (laughs) wow damn and we also in arizona we couldn't drive during the day we had to only drive at night because it was too hot yeah Yeah, but that, those are good memories, I'm sure. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, even if, yeah. if it must have been a struggle while you were living it, it's, yeah, it's it was. Fun to I mean, even at that time, now. I didn't mind, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, did you manage to start working in skateboarding as a skate photographer right after you graduated from from um, college, or or did Pretty it take much. a little bit of time, or maybe? I mean, that that trip was like immediately after graduating, and then I want to say like the, in that fall, I moved to DC. I kind of figured out that like my friends in Richmond weren't cutting it, you know, and like as far as what the magazine wanted, 
Mm-hmm. For sure, they didn't want to run random kids skating in a random town. You know, like they wanted <laughs> pros. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know any pros, you know, but I, I'm close to DC, and through like six degrees of separation, met some guys up there, and anyway, started going up to DC on the weekends and started shooting with like John Ige and, and Andy Honan, who was like kind of on the come up at the time, and some of the old DC pros like Brian Tusi and Pet Martinez. And, um, yeah, a bunch of those guys. So anyhow, you know, then I, then I pitched the DC story to slap called the forgotten city because it was like after the capital nicotine days when those guys were like big time, but they were still out skating all the time. They're still ripping. So I was like, Hey, this is actually kind of a cool thing. And, And I got some, something clicked around that time. Like in, this is in 2000 all of a sudden I started like nailing all my exposures and getting like good lighting and all. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I actually, I got super excited. I remember I got this picture back of a roll of film back of Brian Tusi feeble grinding the welfare bench in DC. And it was like a really good, it was a really good photo. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, wow, I took this like, Oh, holy yeah, crap. Yeah. You know? And so that was kind of a big moment. And a few, th- a few like photos happened around that time where I really nailed it. And, and uh, I was like, okay, something clicked. And I was like, all right, I got this, you know? And then and I can do this. Yeah. The magazine was super excited and they ended up running like, a, I think it was like 14 pages uh, story on like the skate scene in DC. And I was just like, holy crap. And then after that, they were, they put me on retainer and I was working at this photo lab. And so like, I quit one job and like got a part-time job and, you know, cause it wasn't like much money, but but it was enough that I could get out and, and shoot a lot more, basically. And so, so Slap was the first uh, mag that you shot for? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And w- w- were you like uh, with a contract with them or, or were you more like freelancing and, and giving them photos every now and then? I mean, there was no actual paperwork, but it was, they get, yeah, they gave me a monthly check. So yeah, you're basically like an employee. Yeah, okay. Right. But I was still, I was a contractor, but yeah, I had like an agreement where you know, as long as I was giving them photos, they'd send me a monthly check. And Right, right. Okay. And then Philly was going off really around that time. And so they really wanted me to move there. So I left DC after a year, moved to Philly. And unbeknownst to me, they, this is funny, they, there was a photographer in, D, in Philly who was working for Slap on retainer. And I guess they, whatever, it wasn't working out that well. And so they let him go and they gave me the exact same amount of money that he was making and had me move to Philly. Damn. <laughs> and so he was like not, and I didn't really know this when I moved, but I found out soon after, you know, and then like, so me and this guy were like butting heads the whole time I was there. Cause like, oh, he was okay. still very motivated and out in the streets all the time. And, and it was just like the most annoying dynamic, you know, and like he would, I mean, literally. Because he felt it, like you had taken his spot. Well, I mean, I basically or? did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 but uh, not in an evil way, but not yeah. in an evil way, but but he saw he didn't see it that way, you know. So yeah, 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 I understand. So anyhow, but that was a bit awkward. But it, you know, it, after like it took a while too to get like Carrie Getz or Maldonado or Kalis or anyone to shoot with me. But actually, Josh was super cool and and invited me to shoot a trick at this double set. And anyway, you know, it worked out. And then like, it was just the hottest spot because there was like so many photographers and skaters in town. It's not a huge city and there's limited spots. And so like every time there'd be a new spot, it would just be mobbed by everyone. And I remember we got there one day, we were shooting, he was a nollie flipping this double set. And I had set up for a still 
and I was very excited as a Josh Kalis and never shot with him, you know, and whatever, it's going pretty well. And then like Ryan G shows up with like Carrie and Maldonado and like all these other guys and they like park across the street and they're like watching, you know, and then Frankie, who was the other photographer shows up and I don't even know if he was with anyone, but he like just comes over to me and he's like, I might have to start shooting a sequence of this. <laughs> And I was just like, <laughs> get out of here, dude. No, like, this is yeah, my shit. Yeah, like, let me do my job. Yeah. <laughs> but he he uh, didn't attempt to, luckily. But anyway, you know, so that, I mean, that was just like an example of like what it was like. You know, it was just, it was a feeding frenzy, basically. Yeah. But, and then Love got shut down, like, the next year, I want to say. Probably early 2003. Oh, was that early? I thought it was later than then. Okay. Well, it got shut down twice. Like, it, it was redesigned first. And okay. then it was actually still skatable, so people continued to skate there. It just wasn't as good. And then finally, a few like a couple of years ago, it got completely. It's like now just grass. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But yeah, back then it was like loves getting shut down, and you know, they, that's when they added all the pink planters. Oh yeah. They basically mm -hmm. just put planters in front of the ledges, but the planters themselves were skatable, so <laughs> they didn't actually do that much. But um. So after Love got shut down, like, Kalos moved back to Chicago, and, you know, it was very, everyone was very negative about it. Like, it just, it was just bad vibes for me. Mm -hmm. And it kind of had been a lot of because of my relationship with this other photographer. And so I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this place. I want to move to New York. I've always wanted to move to New York. I'm out of here. So that was my kind of opportunity to, that was, I had like a good reason to leave, I guess. And so, and thank God, because... It just brings up so many, like, bad memories. I was just unhappy, I think, at the time, also personally, you know, but... Yeah, yeah, not, not the best time of your life. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. totally. So I just had to leave, and then New York was, like, this golden opportunity, it felt like, at least, and it was super fun, and... Did you ever consider going to California, since, uh, I mean, mo like, uh, skateboarding is uh, obviously a lot over there? You know, I, I kind of, like, wanted to go to school out there. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get into any of the schools I applied to. And it was also, even if I did, it was going to be so expensive that it didn't really make that much sense. But, okay. and so after that, I mean, once I got to New York, I was like, I don't even really want to move to California. I didn't even really think about it. But I did, mm -hmm. I have thought about it since then numerous times. But, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so you moved to New York? So yeah. you, you moved to, to Brooklyn or? Yeah, so it was funny actually. So my, one of my friends, his name is Brian Davis, who I drove across country with. Him and I, we both wanted to move to New York and he was getting into doing like videos and like filmmaking stuff. And he's, he's actually a director now, but um, he and I wanted to move up there and he knew this girl from Virginia who had an extra room mm -hmm. and they lived in like a brownstone in Fort Greene. This is 2003, like maybe like March or April 2003. Anyway, she had this extra room. It was $600 a month. And we were like, all right, well, that's way too much. Like, I was also, I was spending $200 a month in Philly for rent. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I cannot do $600. Yeah, like, that's times, insane. Uh, yeah. And so he was like, well, we could actually split the room and pay $300 each. And I was like, okay. all right, well, I'll just bring my mattress and just put it on the floor, you know? And anyway, so we moved in with these these girls from Long Island who, which might sound good, but it was actually, they were just awful. But um, they, they thought we were a gay couple too, which was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like in the closet, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I sleep on the mattress. They're like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not fooling anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that lasted only a few months. And then we found this loft 
and then we realized, I think we realized we could afford a little bit more. And so then we found this loft, I think it was like 500 bucks a room. And it was like an eight bedroom place, or it was a five bedroom with eight people. But we, there was two rooms, because there were some couples in there, I guess. But like there was a, okay. two rooms available. And so we, we moved in there. And that was like this lawless, crazy loft with no lease and no account for the gas. But it, the gas was still on somehow. <laughs> and so we had like free gas for, I lived there for two years and uh, I mean, I could just go on for an hour about this place, but, but I mean, it had like this, you know, it was this giant New York old school looking loft. It had like a 50 foot wall of windows, but they were like single pane. So it was freezing cold, but there was this industrial heater and we called it the face melter <laughs> because uh-huh. it was so hot when it was on, you know, it was probably yeah, like yeah. this, probably like, I don't know, like three by four feet is this giant cube hanging by chains from the ceiling and it would just blast like the hottest air you could see the flames inside of it and oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound very safe but it... <laughs> not at all but like in the couch it was in front of this one couch and like you couldn't even sit on the couch when it was running because it was just like too <laughs> intense but i mean we had yeah i don't know I could go on and on but it was just this really cool kind of unkempt random place with these kind of that was in Fort, Fort Greene as well? No, nah, that was actually in, in Williamsburg. Okay. It was like right between Bed-Stuy and Williamsburg. It's like South Williamsburg. It was like on the ed- edge of the like uh, one of the Hasidic Jewish neighborhoods. And then it was also like two blocks from the Marcy Houses, uh, Marcy houses which is like a notorious uh, project zone. But um, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. it's Jay-Z from there, I think. But anyway, it was right off the train. You know, it was like not bad. So you stayed there for t- two years? Yeah. And I mean, dude, we had like, <laughs> we had a quarter pipe in the living room. I actually have a picture in Slap of Jason Dill doing a frontside ollie on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. It's like not the greatest <laughs> photo, but it's it's just like cool, like to the environment, you know what I mean? The, the environment is, is awesome. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And we had like, my one, my one roommate had a collection of Ninja Stars and we had this poster of like Burt Reynolds or something. And, we, and it was like this giant larger than life picture and so we stapled it to the wall and then we would stand like 30 feet away at the other side of the of the living room and mm-hmm. just throw the ninja stars as hard as we could across the whole house to, into the wall you know like at the poster wow. <laughs> yeah um and like my one friend or my one roommate he threw it and we had a one light bulb lighting the entire place and so and it was in one of those like japanese like paper globes you know yeah and and so the ninja star goes into the globe and takes out the light bulb and then sticks in the wall and and then it's like shattered off and we have no light and i'm just like damn it dude and we had and also the the ceilings are like 15 feet tall and so we uh had this huge step ladder like a 12 foot step ladder and so i like climb up there i turn off the breaker you know and i climb up and i like use get a pair of pliers and i'm like getting the broken light bulb out of there and and whatever and i get it all out and i put the new bulb in and it just turns on oh yeah okay (laughs) like that i didn't actually turn that breaker off for that light it was like i got so lucky i didn't get zapped from 12 feet off the ground but uh anyway there's a whole bunch of shit like that pretty ghetto yeah Yeah, so ghetto (laughs) anyway so first few years in New York were kind of hectic. Uh. Yeah, and then we would just go to Max Fish every night and just drink our faces off until four in the morning. I mean, and then to go skating every day. You know, I mean, it, you know, I was it was fun. I was shooting with Pulio a lot at the time and just oh, yeah. getting all like just really scoping out all the boroughs and like back alleys and or whatever. You know, like 
because yeah, was there a, I mean there, there's always been a big New York skate scene but um, uh, how, how big was it kind of at that time were there a lot of skaters out there you, you mentioned Dill was there uh, yeah Dill time? Dill was in and out of town um, you know I don't, I don't know he was I feel like back and forth so much but yeah there was periods where he was around a lot and we would skate and like mm-hmm. Daniel Renaud was there pretty often and Poplardo and Blahowski I would skate with all the time and then Puglio I would go on missions with I mean, I don't know, dude, just anyone who's around. But the skate scene there, it was, I guess it was pretty big, but, like, compared to now, it was a, a drop in the ocean, man. Like, I mean, there are sure. so yeah. many skaters. But also, back then, there was no skate parks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not sure what year the LES park came around, but, like, literally, there was, like, that's, like, a, such a breeding ground for amazing skating, and, and there wasn't that, you know? So, there was it was mm-hmm. definitely really rugged and you had to be very motivated to become a skater there for sure i think tompkins was like the best flat ground in the city you know and that like that that was kind of the spot for sure it was much smaller yeah yeah so um i'm, I'm interested in uh, knowing when you started traveling in the middle of all this because you've obviously traveled quite a bit yeah throughout your whole career um did, did you start traveling uh, right after graduating as you were starting to shoot or or did that come a bit later or Well, I want to say it started with assignments from Slap Magazine. So like my first trip, I think there was two trips that were right kind of back to back. And I want to say they were while I was in Philly. Mm -hmm. And I think the first one was to Hong Kong of all places for this like 411 around the world video they were doing. It was with Ricky Ayola, Damian Smith, Vern Laird was filming, Elias Bingham and Kenny Reed and Cairo Foster. Pretty sick crew. Yeah, yeah, it was an awesome crew. And we went out there and it was super difficult because I, well, I was like overly excited. So I like overshot all this like random, like horrible street photos of dumb stuff, you know, like this touristy kinds of th- like rolls and rolls and rolls of film, you know, and yeah, you wanted to capture it all. And, yeah, and I like I think I had been to Mexico once with my parents as a teenager and basically that's really the only traveling I had done besides going cross country, you know, international. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I was very excited to be there and, but also it was super challenging. I was very nervous to be shooting with like Kenny and Cairo, especially because I didn't know them and they were like these superstar pros, you know? And yeah. yeah. And also to, to top it off my, I had these like pretty ghetto, um, flash transmitter receiver units. They were like the cheapest ones that I could, that I could get. Because, you know, I still was making, like, pennies from Slap. You know, it was it was tough. You know, I had a side, like, assisting random side jobs and, like, whatever just to, like, get by. But right. um, anyway, because of the, the technology in Hong Kong was so much more advanced, like, the radio technology. And also, like, especially in the downtown area, that basically I'd turn on my flashes and the radio receivers would just start firing. And so I would turn on my flash and they would just strobe, 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 pop, 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 pop until the battery died. Oh, wow. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I ended up shooting a lot of natural light. I ended up, like, blowing a bunch of photos because my flashes wouldn't fire with the camera because they were, like, recharging because they had been firing on their own. Anyway, it was super stressful and, like, whatever. I got enough pictures to, uh, to do an article, like, luckily. And then also I shot natural light, thankfully, but this picture of, of Kenny Reed kick flipping into this roof. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that recently on the little Transworld thing you did with them with your favorite, pic- oh, favorite yeah, photos, yeah. I think. Right. 
So that, you know, we woke up at like six in the morning because it was like a, you know, busy area and everything. And then we shot that and that ended up being his traveler iPath ad. And so that kind of like, I think part of the reason that that photo came out so well, like Kenny and I like started on like a pretty great friendship and, and also a working relationship moving forward. Was that on top of a subway station or something like that? Yeah, it's like, a, I think it's a shopping area. It's called like Moncock or something. And it just, it's like so it's a very solid busy area. people. Yeah. It's insane. Even at six in the morning, it was busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure, yeah. Like, I think in the photo you'll see at the bottom is like a lady walking by because it was just like, okay, we have a break, like, go, you know. But, I mean, luckily his board didn't, like, come off and hit her in the head or something. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> was there someone that, uh, on the ground uh, make, trying to catch the board? Or no, no, it was okay. just me it was, and it was Kenny just because no one else wanted to wake up that early. And so we, I mean, we actually, I think Kenny and I shot all or almost all of his photos for that entire article we shot that morning. Oh, damn. <laughs> like, I think we shot, yeah. maybe there was a couple others, but we shot probably like four tricks before like 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow. Super productive morning right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good things happen to people who wake up early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always, always a good idea to catch that sunrise for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> No, that picture is sick. Yeah, I I, uh, I forgot about it actually until I I saw it again on on that Trans World piece. Mm, yeah. And so so yeah, so you're talking about Hong Kong and that first uh, major travel for you. Yeah, that was the first, and then after that, I went on this like long, five week long New York tour to Europe, and that was also super great. And anyway, then you know we we went to uh, I don't know all over Western Europe, and then you know I started going. Then Barcelona became like this big hot spot. And so I started going to Barcelona like every year. It was like mm -hmm. Barcelona in the summer and or like spring and fall. Maybe I don't I don't know, but basically like Barcelona and then Miami in the winter. And it was oh, okay. like Barcelona, Miami, Barcelona, and then I was in like Philly or New York, you know, depending. Um, what would uh, bring you to Miami? Uh, just because Philly in the winter is like you can't really do anything there. So yeah, yeah, the winter is quite harsh. Yeah, yeah. I made friends with Forrest Kirby and Ed Salego, and I would go down and stay with them. I think I did that like three winters in a row and stayed for like a month or something each time. And it was awesome. And then Danny Renaud too was from there. So Oh yeah, he's also from Florida. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had like a little crew going down there. So that was a good time also. Really, I have a really fond memories of that actually. Like go swimming in the morning and then go like eat at this wonderful sandwich place on South Beach. And then we'd just go skate all day and, you know, yeah. party all night basically and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a pretty cool life. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. But yeah, so I got, I guess, around like 2003. And so that, that lasted for like three or four years. And then I kind of got tired of going. Like, I liked going to Barcelona. I always will. But I also had been a couple other places. And I was like, man, like, it'd be so cool to see some more of the world than just going back to the same places again and again. So I had pitched a few ideas at Slap. And, and it just, they were just not that into them. Like, uh, you don't really, why do you need to travel? You know, like, like the brands will take you around if they want to. And mm -hmm. Anyway, never one to uh, <laughs> sit idle, I guess. It just, I felt like I needed to move on. And so then there was an opportunity at Skateboarder Magazine that came up. And this is right when the Skateboard Mag started. So like there okay. was a big shuffle of photographer staff, you know, in the Skateboard Mag. And everyone moved around a little bit. And it was kind of like the end of that period. But I had an opportunity to go to Skateboarder. And so I took it. And like they increased my pay a lot and they also basically were like i don't we can you can go anywhere you want to as long as you have like a decent crew and so i was like oh all right so then i think i somehow then i then i like realized it was hard to 
then I, I, you know, I had to fund these things basically. And then that was like really the hard part. And then no company wanted to spend money for like a random crew of friends. They wanted, you know, yeah. So I knew had friends that were skating for different companies and I knew they would all travel well together. And so I was like, well, this would be cool if I put this group together. I saw it at the magazine as a very kind of democratic entity. And so I figured that I didn't see a problem with cross crossing companies, although maybe they're sure. on the other side. Maybe there was some in retrospect. But anyhow, it was never that much of a problem to get a company to shell out a few grand for a guy to go on a two week trip. But it was really tough to get the filmer paid for because yeah. they're like, wait, are guys gonna be filming other teams? You know, like this. Yeah, is... like, are you gonna split enough uh, as much time on one writer yeah. for one brand as for the other guys? Or yeah, yeah, I understand. yeah. But toward the end, I was able. The magazine started funding the filmers toward the end, and okay. so then all of a sudden it was like the doors, the floodgates opened, and it was like, oh well, this is a skateboarder trip, and we're gonna take whoever we want, and we're gonna go wherever we want, you know. And so that mm -hmm. kind of, that's how that kind of snowballed, I guess. But in the beginning, it was super tough. But the first trip, I think, was the Argentina one where Jerry Backside Smith grinded that rainbow rail that was the cover. Jer Jerry Husu or? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. what, what year was that? That was probably 04. Okay, okay. And then, uh, let's see, I don't know, what, whatever. It just, I started like, pitching all these ideas, and I'd say like one out of three would happen. And then Kenny was obviously a big inspiration for that stuff, too, because he was always floating around the globe, like doing whatever. And yeah. And so he I think the next year he was like, hey, you want to go to Russia? There is this planet Earth trip out there and they actually have a photographer. But a bunch of us are going to stay at the end after the trip and just travel around. Yeah. And so okay, okay. I invited like Jack Sabak and Bobby Puglio and I was like, all right, guys, let's go out there and we're going to piggyback on this trip and just keep it going. Were they all writing for iPath at that time, or it was like a iPath Planet Earthy kind of vibe? Right, right. That one. Okay. Yeah. So it was a couple of sponsors, I guess. But yeah, we we came out there, and first off, I, I had been traveling, but <laughs> the silliest things that you like forget to do sometimes. Like I didn't have a contact. My only contact was like the Planet Earth team manager in the states. I didn't have anything, any information. I just had an address for like where to go in Moscow. And so I like okay. did all the legwork getting a visa and all this stuff, but I didn't really know where I was going. And so like I got there and I said, okay, um, I gave the address to a taxi and it was like, it was two, number two park Pobody. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going. And he's like, he's like, no, there is no two park Pobody. He's like, it's park Pobody is huge. And he's, he's like, where are you coming from? I was in New York. He's like, it's like Central Park. You know, it's like bigger than that. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, God. I was like, okay, well, where do skateboarders go? And he's like, uh, I don't know, like may, maybe Victory Plaza or something. And I was like, oh, just take me there. <laughs> and so I like go to this Victory Plaza and it's like obviously a skate spot, you know. And so I just hop out of the taxi and I just sit there with all my bags by the subway. And I was like, well, they got to come home at some point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so I just sat there for like four hours, dude, until finally, um, actually some like random girl let me use her cell phone and I had the number, I think I called the States and then I got the number of the apartment and then I like called the apartment and then wow. someone said, Oh, just come across the street. And, but the building across the street was this giant Russian like block, you know, and it was, it had like probably 2000 apartments in it. <laughs> and I was just like, what? <laughs> 
I was like, you gotta come get me, man. And anyway, at that point, though, someone came out of the subway. I think, like, some, some of the other guys came out of the subway. And I was like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Finally! <laughs> Thank and God. so they, yeah. like, showed me to the apartment. And there was absolutely no way I would have found it, you know, but... Damn, pretty complicated, yeah. Yeah, that was... But that, I definitely learned, you know, to, to get all my information prepare, prepare beforehand. Prepare your chips, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... That too, there was 11 people staying and Kenny had rented like a two bedroom apartment. We had 11 people in there. <laughs> and so like the landlady came in the night before to like just check on things and like saw all of us and freaked out and she like kicked everyone out on the street. <laughs> and um, the, all the guys from the Earth Tour just went to the airport a little early. But the rest of us who were staying had like, we were just sitting on the curb at like midnight. Like, what the hell are we going to do? And luckily there was this local photographer guy who like let us stay in his apartment uh, overnight. But he was moving, I guess. And so like he didn't actually have any furniture or anything in the apartment. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he had moved everything <laughs> out. And so we just like had to sleep on the hardwood floor. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> but Super the next, comfy. Yeah, yeah, the next day we got on a train and went to like Latvia and then went to Lithuania and then we like went down to Bulgaria and the whole tour, like tour road trip, whatever it was, it took like it was like I want to say two months, two months on oh, the road. Two months. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> damn, that's a long time. But it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So it was Russia and all of Eastern Europe, basically. Kind well, of, yeah. Not all of it, but a, a not big all, but a big part. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sick. So, so yeah. So you traveled quite a bit. Um, I guess it, it would probably take forever to go through all the countries you've of course, visited, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, is there, is there maybe one one or two trips that really stuck out to you while you were doing them? Uh, I know that there's one that I, uh, I think you were on that trip to the um, La Paz uh, in Bolivia, the skate park constru construction one for Levi's. Yeah. Uh, that's something that really uh, stuck out to me. But uh, And obviously the one you did in India as well with Patrick and all the visual traveling guys. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, are there any trips that uh, really st stick out to you? I mean, those were two big ones. I I think to me, the biggest ones are, well, during that Russia trip, Kenny told me about the Trans-Siberian Railway. And I guess him and Scott Bourne had done that like the year before or something. And, but they didn't get off the train, but he saw all these cities along the way. And he was like, man, we should like go and stop in these towns in Siberia, mm -hmm. you know? And so it took like two years of pitching, but I finally got that like funded and everything. And then we did that. So that trip was like amazing, so like an awesome crew, and it was Kenny, Jack, Keegan Sauter, and Van Westel. Wow, damn, that's a really cool crew right that there. That was super fun, and that was also another like two-monther, but we went like across Russia, through Mongolia, and, into, and then spent like a couple weeks in China at the end. So that's not the same, uh, because I know Patrick uh, Walner also did a, a Trans-Siberian... Yeah, uh, I don't... I think he might have done that a few years later. Like, I'm not sure. Our, our trip was in 07. I, I don't know when his was. It might have been like 2011 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You might be right, yeah. But that trip was amazing. And then the next... The other one that really stands out to me was the Vietnam trip, which was my first trip oh, yeah. with Patrick. And I don't remember how I met him off the top... Although I'm sure it'll come to me. But basically, we were talking about doing a trip together because I think he was just doing all this other crazy travel stuff too. And I was like, man, we should definitely link up. 
and I, I had this picture I found on, on like Tumblr or some shit at the time that, that uh, was like just two dirty motorbikes on a wooden boat, like crossing a river. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that looks so cool. And, and, uh, and so I, I sent it to Patrick and I was like, I want to do a trip like this. And he's like, oh, well, why don't we just go to Vietnam? Because I guess it reminded him because he had been to Vietnam before. And I think he had actually been there and ridden motorbikes around. So he that like clicked for him. And anyway, so we kind of like designed that trip and went there. We like I'd never ridden a, anything other than a bicycle before in my life. But like we got there, we bought motorbikes, learned how to ride them and then drove 2000 miles. Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> it was definitely kind of crazy. And I mean, I fell down, like I fell off the bike once and got a little scraped up and then Jerry, Jerry fell twice. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah he like, he almost left, I think, cause he got, he like smashed his, uh, his ribs into the back of another guy's bike. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh, that must've been scary. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, kind of unscathed. I also, I heard about a crew from Europe that like tried to do this trip like a couple a year or two after us. And I guess like somebody fell and like broke their arm in a crash and then they all just bailed. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. That's what I heard. I'm, I'm not sure how accurate that is. I don't even know who it was, but it was def- we got lucky for sure that no one was seriously injured because it's exceedingly dangerous to, to ride a bike over there. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I saw that the Patrick Wallner video. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't remember the, the title of it, but uh, the, the name of the, the killing video. season. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason for that is because we didn't realize it, but we were there during the, um, the Tet New Year celebration where it's like a lot of there's way more drunk drivers and stuff during this period. And it's like a two week long period, you know, so best time to, to go travel across country. <laughs> well, it actually was good because there's very little traffic. Because okay. about halfway through our trip, that ended, and all of a sudden the traffic was full on, and we were just like, "Oh my god! Like, there's no way, there's no way we could have done this with with a full traffic," you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like really uh, kind of eye opening. But you know, and the skating, the spot, the, the skating was kind of whatever to be honest. But the the adventure was at its peak. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. So, right. Yeah. yeah exactly. I wanted to ask you about the book you made with uh, National Geographic, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Skate, Skate the World. Can you tell me a little bit about how the project uh, came about and uh, did they approach you or was it the other way around and, and how, how did you select the photos and stuff like that? Can you tell me about that project? Um, sure. It's funny, I, I heard one of their photographers speak at some event one time and he was like, somebody was like, how do you get in with that geo? And he was like, you know what? You don't find them, they find you. <laughs> And I actually found that to be true as well, Um, because I never really thought that was a a avenue because skating, National Geographic, what? Yeah, yeah. But I um, had a chance kind of run in with one of their editors at a Christmas party. And this is in 2008. And I just come back from this trip to Kazakhstan and I was telling her about it. I didn't even know what she did as a job, but... uh, she was like, hey, you know what? You know, I work at Nat Geo Books and we're always looking for like subjects that will appeal to a youth audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, or she said, do you do you think you have enough material for a book? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I've been doing this for like eight years now and whatever. Yeah. And so she said, why don't you come in for a meeting? And so, I mean, I'd never even had a meeting anywhere. Like my only meetings had been like over the phone with like Slap Magazine, you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I just I, I went to the dark room and I printed like fifty eleven by fourteens of my favorite skate photos, okay. and 
I just put them in a Kodak paper box and went down to Nat Geo and had a meeting with like 10 people in this boardroom. And I just had my prints and just passed them around the room. And, and they were all like, <laughs> they were probably like, who what is we, this what guy? What are we doing here? Like, yeah. <laughs> but the work was there. Like they liked the work, you know? So they were like, wow, okay, well, this is great work, but what's your angle? And I, and I was like, well, uh, I don't know, like just skating around the world or something. And, mm-hmm. and they were like, all right, well, let's talk further, whatever. So then I got an email from Susan, Susan Hitchcock is the editor, and she um, Mm -hmm. got back to me and and she's like, you know what, I really believe in this book, but we really have to find how this fits fits into the Nat Geo mission of basically like trying to make the world a better place. So figure that out. Yeah. And so I'm (laughs) like, "Uh, okay, I I don't know. So then basically from that point, I started pushing the travel even, I mean, I guess Kazakhstan was pushing it, but like I had this book in mind and she was like, it's not going to happen like tomorrow, but like, just keep it in mind. Like I believe in this project and whatever. So Mm -hmm. I always just had in the back of my head going forward that I was like, okay, maybe someday this will be a book. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I shot, I think I shot a little differently and I, you know, I, it was subtle, but there was some kind of shift that happened there. But I definitely started pushing the travel more and more like just different spots and, and try to really kind of cover the globe a little bit more. Like, oh, I haven't been to this continent, you know, or whatever. So whatever time goes by, I'm doing travels. And, and then finally, um, you know, it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, well, skating is this global culture and it brings people together uh, across these, you know, cultural barriers or whatever. And so sure. then I, I had another meeting and kind of pitched that idea. And they were like, all right, great, we can do this. But we don't want to pay for it because we have never done a skateboarding book and we don't know how it's going to sell. And oh, okay. they're like, you got to find a sponsor. And so I was like, oh my God, like, all right, whatever. So maybe this book won't happen. And I was like thinking about other publishers and I was like, man, maybe I should try to get like a super corporate brand behind it. Or like, obviously I need that. You know, I, I asked, mm-hmm. like I pitched some shoe companies and just never heard anything back. And yeah, it's difficult because you're not promoting a brand or it's like, what's the point for them? Yeah. Right. And then like, there was like some, you know, I figured like the whatever brand would probably want to be really heavily involved and like control who's on the cover and like all this stuff, you you know, the content. Yeah. Anyway, so incidentally, speaking of India and Bolivia, um, I did the India trip. And when we were in Bangalore, I got a call or email or something from the one of the ad guys at Skateboarder. And he was like, hey, Levi's just reached out and they're actually building a skate park in Bangalore right now. Do you want to stay an extra week or something or two and document the build? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, sure. And they actually had a photographer coming out, but he wasn't showing up for a while. And so I shot like the first half of the project. And then I left and before, like the day before he came in or something. But anyway, we hit it off really well. And then they did this project a couple years later in, or a year later, I guess, in La Paz. And they invited me to come and like shoot the campaign and like, you know, document the whole thing. And, and while we were there, um, we were like having drinks one night and the director of marketing guy was like, man, he's like, I don't, I just don't know how to spend the rest of my budget this year. Like they gave me so much money and this stuff actually doesn't cost that much. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, well, why don't you just fund my book? Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, really? And he's like, what's it all about? Anyway. So literally I just connected him to Nat Geo over email and within six months we were going to press. Awesome. So that it was just like we were just waiting for the right time and place and it just happened. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's I'm a big believer in like the law of attraction or whatever because of that. Because this whole time over seven, seven years, I was just like, you know what? Like I'm headed toward a book someday, you know, but yeah, 
And so anyway, that, you know, I, I had, I sourced some photography from other people to like kind of fill in the gaps because it's not really, it's not my story, you know, it's like, it's skating as a global culture is the story. So, but mm-hmm. you know, it's mo- mostly my photos and, and I wrote all the essays and everything in it, which was actually the most difficult part because writing is like pulling teeth for me, but uh, I do get into it once I get past the initial threshold of starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, it takes a bit of an effort to get it to get the thing rolling, and and then once you're in it, it's all good. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's how the book happened, and that's also kind of the Levi's or the Levi's Bolivia kind of project. Yeah. And then skateboarder folded the following year, and then the book came out like right after that, and so it was all kind of seamless. And then I mm-hmm. kind of started just freelancing and doing more commercial work and. That's right. And that's, that's what you've been doing uh, in more recent times uh, for uh, numerous brands. Uh, I, saw, I saw that you recently did a, a shoot for, um, it's, that's not his name, but it's C Blues on Instagram, uh, Gilbert Crockett. Oh, that was for Vans. Yeah, I mean, I'm still like, most of my work is still in skating, like just on the commercial side of it, you know what I mean? But yeah, Gilbert, I mean, he's in town here too. It's just easy. Uh, like whenever I go skating, it's usually with uh, those guys, so but bus crew guys mm-hmm. yeah so that and you know so i did some running stuff and i don't know just various various different different sports you know what i mean it's it's kind of fun to change it up and i mean skating to me is still the sickest thing ever but it's nice to kind of try my hand at at some other areas sure there's like a big mountain biking scene here so i've been shooting a little bit of mountain biking stuff which is like such a different like i can i'm like a I just ride my bike around. I'm not like an action biker, but <laughs> these days are crazy, man. It's pretty, it's pretty insane. <laughs> but uh, yeah, skating is definitely still where my heart is as well, you know, so. Of course, that's where you come from, so. Yeah, yeah totally. All right, so I want to ask you, if you had to pick uh, like uh, one or two photos from, I mean, it's obviously a very difficult question, but like if you had to select one or two photos in your entire career, skate photos that you're the most proud of or that you're the most stoked on, what would they be? And I, I know you kind of did that a bit uh, with the trans world, a little piece. Yeah. But if you can think of different pictures, uh, obviously you mentioned the one with Kenny Reed in, in Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's up there. I don't know. This my this probably changes from week to week or month yeah. to month, you know. But at the moment, I would say like that one maybe um, the book cover shot. Oh yeah, uh, with, of the um, guy of Suchu and Sibo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That one. This point and shoot photo I have of Tony Trujillo doing this insane method air off a launch ramp in Brooklyn, and maybe the Jerry Sue Backsmith photo that I mentioned earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, that's a tough one. But there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of them that go by over the years and everything. But I'd say those are in the front of my mind at the moment. So we'll sure. go with those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was one that I, I saw again recently with uh, Anthony Van England doing a feeble oh, yes. <laughs> over this like round, cur- uh, not curb, but a uh, ledge. Yeah. And I was, it, it looks pretty crazy because his arms are like along his body or something. <laughs> yeah. And he, he looks like he's like jumps, ski jumping or I don't know how you say it. But I was just like, wow, that's such a strange posture. And, and it know. kind of, I, I don't know, it kind of uh, shows well how powerful he is on a skateboard and how, how much in control he is. Basically. Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I just uh, enjoyed that picture very much. Uh, yeah, I like that. 
I like that photo a lot too. I think photographically speaking, it's it's like not that remarkable, but the his style in that picture is super crazy. And it's yeah, funny exactly. you mention it too because it's that was a if you ever go on the slap message board, yeah, they have these like photo meme like almost contests that come up where people start photoshopping <laughs> stuff. I, mean, I haven't seen one in a while, but that was one where people like took that and they cut him out and they like put him in bed like under blankets or <laughs> it may have been a ski jumping one. I'm not sure. But they basically had him doing all those various activities. You know what I mean? The, the, <laughs> other I had to skating. check that out. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look it up. <laughs> but that was super funny, I thought. Do you remember where, where that was? Yeah, that was in Cyprus, actually. The island of Cyprus. That was a Vans, a Vans trip. Okay. So, so you've shot photos with, as we, we've been talking about this for a little bit, uh, you've, you've shot with many, many, many skaters from different areas, different periods of time. Who are some of the, the skaters that you've enjoyed uh, shooting uh, the best? Uh, I guess uh, you mentioned Kenny Reed. Yeah. Uh, that's probably someone that, that you've shot a lot of pictures with. But uh, who else uh, did you really enjoy uh, working with? Uh, I mean, I think if you can tell probably by the other guys I traveled with repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 or even traveled with it all but uh yeah who knows i mean it's that's really hard that also probably changes from time to time but i think sure. you know jerry jerry sue is a is a big one jake johnson was super exciting to shoot with kenny anderson has always been like a favorite um you know i don't know there's so many i can't really it's hard to yeah yeah You, you choose one, you leave one out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I mean, I just love shooting. I love shooting action and skating. And it's if we're vibing as people, then I'm pretty happy. So as, I'd say it's very few who the people who I have disliked shooting with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of them are everyone. It's they're notorious for being hard to work with or something like that. You know, so. But yeah, I've always been pretty, pretty easy to get along with and vice versa sure. i think so but yeah it's 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 um yeah it's i don't know it's just, it's been fun but yeah some of those guys are definitely super inspiring to see speaking of jerry again yep i did this trip to miami with enjoy this is definitely the film days still so it must have been like 2000 and maybe five or six anyhow he in bag of suck he does like a switch 180 revert on the blue hubba in miami yeah i do remember that one yeah It's a famous hubba, right? Like, yeah, uh, AD, I think it's called the ADT hubba or something. So anyway, we're there, Evers Matt Eversole is filming, and we're sitting next to each other at the bottom of the stairs, and, and I have this growing... And back then, like when you'd shoot a sequence, if they didn't make any or even come close on the, uh, on the roll of film, to save the camera battery, you, instead of rewinding the film, you would just open the back and tear it out. And so it was just like this pile of film growing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the on the steps by you you know and it was typical to get like a film came in in like a brick of 20 rolls and so i would get a couple of bricks for sequences for a trip okay and the mag the magazine was supplying all the film back then so i would be like oh yeah i need like a hundred rolls of whatever and triax 400 or something and anyhow they would just send this out and so for the day normally i would just take a brick sometimes two but like normally i would just take one brick of film and so i'd done that on this day and it's at night like it was the end of the day I've been out already so i i'm shooting the sequence and we're burning through film and he's like bailing a lot and and it was about three tries per roll because he wanted to save a little at the end if they made it you know so he'd have some frames anyway we get down i think i have about three rolls of film left and that's usually about the time i would mention it to a skater 
but I hadn't actually at that time shot with Jerry. I think that may have been the first time I shot with Jerry. I can't remember. I also stayed with him in San Jose for a while, but anyhow, whenever it was, I was, I say to Matt, I was like, Hey dude, do you think that, um, I should tell him? Cause he was getting really mad and like, he was very like frustrated. Yeah. He was sure. super frustrated. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I have three rolls left. Do you think I should tell him? Or is he going to piss him off or yeah. yeah. Or is it going to make him more stressed, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and Matt was like, dude, I don't know. Like, cause Matt had worked with Jerry a lot more at that point. And, yeah. He knew him. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, do you think that, uh, he was like, you know what? I think he's trying, um, as hard as he can. So maybe just don't say anything. Okay. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'm not going to say anything. Anyway, so he tries it a handful more times, and I put in the last roll. He gives it two more goes, and I'm just like, I almost said something again at the last roll, but I didn't, you know? And then he tries it two more times, and then he goes, hey, John, how many more rolls you got left? Oh, <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, dude, I was like, last roll, last try. And he's like, are you fucking serious? Wow. <laughs> and, his back is against and, the wall. And, yeah. yeah, and I was like, I was like, we talked, we decided not to say anything because you were already trying so hard. And he's like, fuck! You know, and... <laughs> <laughs> and then he like goes up and he fucking comes back and makes it dude oh wow really <laughs> that's sick yeah it was incredible he needed he needed that like last try kind of <laughs> this is this is uh do it or die or something or, yeah. exactly wow I think Crazy. that's the only time that ever happened, but that was pretty, <laughs> it was magical, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God you still had that film, because uh, if you had, if it was done, like, he would have been probably even more pissed. Or... Oh, I would have been so bummed if he then made it, like, five tries later or something. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I need, I need to find uh, the sequence. Was that, was that an ad, or was that in a, in a mag it's, or something? It's in a skateboarder issue. Okay. <laughs> I don't know when or where. Ask the skate media nerd on Instagram. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure um, it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's between like oh four and oh six. I want to say somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, before before we go into questions from your friends, I have a, a question about obviously the documentary that you're about to release. If I oh yeah, if I'm not mistaken, because I I couldn't find it, so I assume it's not yet uh, out. Yeah, there. it's it's not out. We're still doing the festival circuit. So we got into Doc NYC and premiered there, and that was super exciting. And it's crazy to see it on a massive movie screen and to, especially to, to hear it on the, on the stereo system of the theater was absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Because we had, like, a composer do a score for it, and, like, I mean, oh, it was... Oh, amazing. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, I had no idea, because I'd only listened to it on my laptop before that, you know, so it was uh, definitely eye-opening. And then um, we now got into Slam Dance Film Festival in January, so we're going to show there, too, and waiting to hear back from, like, six or seven other ones, so... It's probably going to be a little while until it's, like, out-out, but... But okay. it's definitely like people can during the film festivals, you can like go onto their streaming service and, and like rent it and watch it. Oh, okay. so, cool. Like Slam Dance is January 20th to 23rd. And I think I don't know if it's going to be available the whole time. I think it is. But the actual premiere is on the 22nd mm -hmm. uh, in the afternoon. But yeah, I think that the whole I th I'm pretty sure that all the films will be streaming for dur for the duration of the festival. So and just for the listeners who, who might be wondering what I'm talking about, it's it's a documentary oh, yeah. it? that uh, <laughs> it's uh, because I, I should have said it, but it's uh, so it's called Walls Cannot Keep Us From Flying. 
And it's basically about two skaters from Palestine, two young skaters, Omar and Yasmin. If I'm not mistaken, they're both instructors at um, Skate Kilia. Uh, is that how you yeah. say it? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is a local skate camp. And I think Kenny Reed actually uh, works yeah. out there. I don't know if he does anymore. but uh, Back to Kenny again. He is a co-founder of it. So he actually invited me out there. That was his initiative. Okay. Yeah. And then he, you know, he, thought, he thought I would come shoot stills, but I was like, why don't we do a documentary? Because I'm trying to do more motion stuff. And That's right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, because so we talked about photo um, photography a lot, but are, are right. you going more and more into directing and, and doing documentaries and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have, I have so many ideas for that kind of thing. Like I'd say more than stills right now, but it's, they're really hard to like, they just take so much more time. You know what I mean? To like all the moving pieces. And I mean, that film, that film was basically my film school. Like I, I tried to do it as legit as possible and like really do everything you can do to like professionalize a documentary and like really like make it good. And it took a long time, man. And also I had a kid in in the middle of it and then the pandemic, you know, that that was kind of a setback, but Mm -hmm. like we filmed in 2019 and it just came out. So it was shot two years ago. Okay. It, It took two years to put it, to like make it basically. But there was definitely probably a six-month hiatus in there somewhere. Is it a long... Uh, it's not that it's, that it's too important, but what what's the length of the documentary? It's like uh, 13 minutes long. Oh, okay. So it's quite short. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's basically about just these kids who are using skating to find freedom, uh, at least mentally, because they don't have it in their physical lives. That's kind of like the big picture message of it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was crazy, man, going out there and everything and... Was it your first time going to Palestine? Yeah, yeah, it was. Actually, I tried to go to the Middle East on a few occasions, but I never actually got a trip going there. Um, I think, uh, you know, Morocco was like the, the closest or like Baku, Azerbaijan was sort of Middle East-ish, but it's actually not the Middle East. So yeah, this was the first time going there. And I missed an opportunity to go to Afghanistan that I'm oh, still yeah. so freaking bummed about, but and right now it's not a good time no, anymore you're not yeah. going there yeah so but yeah it was exciting to go out there and we spent we just spent a week and just hung out and and like filmed a bunch of interviews and learned us so much about filmmaking it was awesome yeah. because as i said it's uh, it seems to be focused on those two two uh, young skaters from from there yeah did you go there with the intention of making it about them sort of uh, as the main narrators or I knew that they would probably be the main characters, but I also thought we were going to include a bunch of other characters too. We didn't really know what the story was, but we knew like these guys are going to be probably the most interesting. Okay. And so we interviewed like 20 different people and we had like 30 hours of footage or something like that. And it's, and then we reduced it down because it and also in a short, you just don't have time to introduce that many characters and make them meaningful, you know? So like, yeah, it's this, this is the kind of thing that I was learning about. It's like, how do you make people care about these characters? And how do you like, how do you make the audience feel something? Build uh, empathy and yeah. Uh-huh. And that's kind of the big challenge, I think, like with directing stuff. And I filmed too, because I'm like kind of a tech nerd. And so I was like, oh man, I want to shoot. But like, you know, the whole time <laughs> my DOP was like, oh, you don't have to shoot, man, you know? And I was like, oh, I want to. And then like at the end, like I think like 99% of my footage is not in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least you, you experimented with it. and uh... Yeah, because it's all a learning process, you know. But now if I, if I film the next one, I'll probably have a lot more percent footage in there. You know what I mean? So Yeah, you're going to get better and better at it. So Yeah, so that was definitely part of it too. It was fun, man. It was, it was really cool. Yeah. 
So, okay, so that's coming pretty soon, coming out pretty soon. So premiering in festivals right now and... Festivals, like hopefully by the summer, it'll it'll be like released or something. Okay. But I'll definitely like put a big Instagram post out about it when it does. Yeah, yeah. No, I look forward to, uh, to watching it. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, man. Cool. Thanks. All right. Well, how about we, we wrap this up with uh, the questions from your, uh, your buddies? Yeah. So I have questions from three different people. I think we've mentioned most of them throughout our conversation. So, okay, let's start with this one. Hey, John, tell us the story about that time we lost the keys and, and saw a rainbow. Do you recognize, uh, I guess <laughs> That was Kenny. That was yeah, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot about that. <laughs> So I've been to Morocco twice, and the first time was uh, we went on a trip to Barcelona, and then we were like, let's get out of Barcelona, let's go to Morocco, and Kenny was like, yeah, there's this city I heard, some kid told me it's like a city of marble in like the southern part of Morocco, and we're like, it's called Agadir, and so we're like, all right, let's fucking go, you know, and so a flight from Barcelona to Casablanca was like not expensive, and so... Jerry was there, Jerry, Kenny, Jack, and Rich Adler, I want to say, and Mike Fox was filming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we just hopped over there and rented a car. And it was like a kind of a debacle from the very first start because we'd never been there. We didn't know where we were going. The guy at the airport gives us this map and it was like either hand drawn or like Xerox so many times that like it was almost like illegible. And all the streets are named after the kings. And so there's and there's a bunch of them named Muhammad. And so it'd be like Muhammad four intersects with Muhammad five and that and intersects with Muhammad six. And, and like, it's not really a grid, you know, and okay. it's just like insane. And so we're like, and then the guy like, he's like, here we are on the map. And then he drew this line through the city and then he pointed an arrow off the paper. And he's like, your hotel is like right there. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> so yeah, we like pack into this SUV that we rented and we just... I just remember driving in circles, trying to learn the layout of each block. Like we drive in a circle and then increase by another circle to try to like learn where we were at. You know, like okay, uh, it was okay. like just going around, around, around. Like okay, I remember this street and this one. Anyway, eventually we found the hotel. But um, <laughs> so we're driving to Agadir, which is like a good solid like nine hours of driving straight without stopping south of there. And so we're like kind of just numb from road tripping and all. And there's a lot of us in the car, you know, and and uh, we like drive through these mountains and it's snowing and then all of a sudden there's a freaking rainbow in the distance like over these mountains and i was just like man let's just get off like look at this insane landscape what's happening it's snowing and there's a rainbow and like let's <laughs> let's just pull off and just stretch our legs a bit you know and so we like pull off on this dirt road and for some reason i just like started driving down it for a ways <laughs> <laughs> and finally we're like it's literally in the middle of the desert there's like nothing anywhere and a dirt road and we just like stop after like i don't know 15 20 minutes of driving down this road and we get out and we're just running around like ah you know <laughs> and, like freaking out Releasing the tension of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then we like get back in the car and I'm like, all right, guys, who has the keys? <laughs> <laughs> and Kenny goes, you were driving. And I was like, yeah, but I don't have the keys. I was like, he's got them. And he's like, everyone's like, you do, dude. And I was like, what? And I just remember I looked out the window and Kenny was like, don't you dare look out the window like they're out there, man. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> and I was just like, God damn it. And I was like, you know what? They were in my like loose sweatshirt pocket. They must have bounced out when I was like jumping around. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to comb the desert. <laughs> like literally, we're combing the desert. Wow. I was like, everyone's six feet apart. We know we're in this direction. We're going to follow our footprints and we're just going to walk until we find this key. 
and the sun was going down. It was getting cold. Like the windows in the car were all down. It was bad. There was no one for miles, you know, like it was bad. So we start walking, we start walking and Rich, he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, this is, here's John's footprints. This looks like John jumping around and here's the (laughs) fucking key. And he like holds it up above his head and it was like catching the last rays of sunlight you know and we were like yay we like put him on our shoulders and like carried him triumphantly back to the car <laughs> and it was only the key it had no keychain either it was just like a single oh, key. One key oh yeah so even more hard to <laughs> so uh, hard to find yeah, yeah i mean yeah. wow you're lucky you found it Thank i know God. yeah I mean, we would have our lives could have been in danger for sure oh, for we would have sure, been yeah <laughs> they bought me a keychain after that <laughs> And then the city was actually, Agadir is quite good for skating now, but back then there was really only one marble plaza with one ledge. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of a shit mesh, as they say, but. Yeah, it's like, but, not, uh, not you really know, that much worth it. <laughs> definitely not worth it. <laughs> it was worth it for the adventure. All right, what else you got? <laughs> All right. I have, uh, okay, I'll play this one. Hey, John, this is Nestor. So when we went to India for Kumala, I'm curious to hear what sticks out to you from how wild that whole experience was like maybe that night when we got lost after visiting all those different gurus tents and would you go back for the next one in 2025 oh man i guess he's thinking about it isn't he yeah. i don't even know what year Probably. the next one's at i think i would go back actually i had enough of a break but man oh nestor is one of my best travel companions as well love that dude <laughs> But yeah, we've I think we we met on that Miami trip as well that I was talking about with Jerry. Oh yeah. So the whole reason for going to India was because of the Steve McCurry photo that I saw where he has this picture of all these floating bridges that are completely packed with people. And so I like looked up, I was like, what is this? What's happening? And it's this uh this like religious festival that happens only every twelve years, Kumamela. And so I basically, I looked into it and it was like, well, you have to book accommodation like at least six months in advance. And I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm making this happen. We're do, we're doing a skate trip to India and we're going to go to this festival. And so I just bought like eight different beds, mm-hmm. like six months ahead of time without having a crew or anything or funding or anything. I was like, whatever. And it was expensive because I was probably booking from the US. You know, I think it was like $50, $50 a night per bed or something like that. But I was like, you know what, this has to happen. I'm just going to buy these rooms and that's going to make me make it happen. I mean, rent these rooms, whatever. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, so I did that and then spent the next like six months like finding a crew. And that was Nestor, Suchu, Sibo, and, um, and Sean Malto, who totally like was such a, I guess, not a wild card, but he seemed like it at the time because everyone was like, ah, Malto will never go on that. And then I like asked yeah, him, yeah. he's like, hell yeah, I'd love to go. So I was I also, it's funny, I would ask people to go on these trips, like Josh Kalis or like Andrew Reynolds or just like anyone basically that I thought would be cool to go. And, and the, remember, both of those guys were just like, no way, man. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> they were like, thanks for the offer, but I like my Starbucks yeah, in the morning or whatever. i just stay you know? out here and yeah. do my thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I can appreciate that, you know, especially, I think they both had families at the time and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, so we, yeah, we get out there and 
we skate Delhi for a bit. Now, Wallner was there. Um, he'd been to Delhi, so that helped with finding spots. Because, you know, the only trips that I knew of before that to India were um, Lance Dawes went for slap way back in the day. And, like, there was, like, literally nothing to skate. And then Josh Stewart had gone, I think, on a trip. And then I guess Patrick must have been there. But, like, those are the only guys I knew who had even been. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty untapped as far as skate spots, I thought. And um, yeah, yeah. anyway, so, and it was good, you know, like, we found plenty. But the Kumamela was, like, not in a skatable city, you know? It was, like... And it's also, I think, like, uh, I can't remember the numbers. I want to say 30 million people go to the festival or something like that. Really? Something insane. It's, like, it was the... In 2013, it was the largest gathering of human beings ever recorded. Wow. And we were yeah, there. 30 million is pretty... <laughs> dang, wow. It might have been 100 million. I can't remember, man. It was, like... Yeah, I think... I'll, I want to say it, it was... Up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it might have been 30 million per day and 100 million total. Because it was like a week-long thing. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. But it's like this huge tent city gets bit, built in the floodplain of the Ganges. And it intersects with uh, this other river, the Saraswati or something like that. And there's basically two rivers and then like a, a mythical other third river that all come together. And it's like this religious, you know, holy site for Hindus. Patrick and Malto, I think, got food poisoning. I think everyone had food poisoning except for me and Nestor, which happens. So... Nestor and I were motivated, I guess, to go out and I was like super into photographing just kind of like street style of like what was happening around us, you know, and yeah. Anyway, so we just went out and started walking and like the whole, it was miles and miles and miles across like this whole camp, you know, it's got mm-hmm. a whole, it's got a police force that has like uh, lighting and, and like food stations and like, you know, freaking leper colonies. I mean, it was crazy, man. Um, yeah, I could but, imagine. Yeah, we just like went around and and toward the center, there's all these gurus and the kind of spiritual guides and stuff. And the, everyone has like a tent assignment and like there's a row. You have a row and a tent assignment because it's all kind of organized somehow. And so as a foreigner, we're like way on the outskirts. And so we just started walking and got to the middle. And the, like we have to you have to be invited into the tent area by the guru. And okay. so basically you have to have like a little like sit down, have a tea and like they have to kind of suss you out like if they want to deal with you or not, I guess. And <laughs> okay. So we got invited into this one and we also had our this Indian skater Porna with us and he was at one of the central tents and um, he invited us or he asked if, if we could come into like his zone, you know, and the guy, the guy let us. And then they get, they gave us these like, everyone's high as a kite. Uh, marijuana <laughs> like they gave us these like this like kind of like uh those like energy balls you might find at, like a health food store but it was just i want to say it was just like a marijuana bud with sugar <laughs> <laughs> and like and and like oil you know and packed into a ball or something it was just like some kind of edible weed and anyway so yeah. we ate we ate like a few of those and then they're like all smoking us out and we're just like so high dude and i'm just like you know we're trying to just bumbling around and is with us luckily but we're just like hanging out you know there's people like doing yoga and meditating and like we're just like losing our minds because they're like where are we and there's like if you the photos look kind of crazy because a lot of the gurus guys they're called sadhus and they'll wear they like cover their bodies in the ash of the dead oh yeah and, wow you know they look kind of scary but 
they're actually, you know, I mean, some of them maybe are, but, you know, they're, for the most part, it's a quite positive vibe going on. Mm -hmm. And that, the music of the place is like kind of peaceful, like music getting projected across the whole encampment, you know, and it's like kind of just blissing out on the whole thing. It was like pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And then we ate dinner at one point, but all the, all the gurus and sadhus, they get to eat first. And I just remember being so hungry and not really understanding the process. And and porn, it was just like, hey man, like we just gotta wait. And I'm just totally being like an impatient Westerner, yeah. you know, like <laughs> angry. And anyway, so like, all right, whatever, waiting. And then like all the commoners line up, and there's like this like kind of food kitchen. And basically, you you get served, and then you wash your plate, and then you give it to the someone else who's waiting in line. And, okay. Okay. And so we like get sort you know, and I'm just like, whatever food poisoning, I'm so scared, but we, I'm so hungry. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so we like get our plates and we go and we eat. And then I just remember at the end, like what, how you washed it was you, there was a tap that came out of the sand and it was just like, I presume Ganges water. And you just like took a handful of sand from the floodplain, rubbed it on the plate and then rinsed <laughs> it off. And that was wow. the washing <laughs> process. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is sketchy. But and then I just I remember handing it to the guy in line yeah. who was waiting. And he like he was so dumbfounded. Like, what is this white guy doing here? Like, he was like stunned. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't believe it. <laughs> Couldn't believe I was handing him this plate, you know, and he was just like, what's happening? And I was just like, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. We just walked. And then like uh, everyone started bathing at like four in the morning, the whole bathing process. So everyone goes and they get blessed and they bathe in the water of the Ganges and like drink yeah, it. And, yeah, like, yeah. and so we were there like just watching this whole thing. And I got rushed down to the front, I think, because we were foreigners, you know, and like they were like, oh, yeah, come over here. And there's like a media pit, you know, like all these photographers and stuff. And like, I mean, it was just insane, dude. But did you guys bathe in the water or is it is it kind I, of not it's um, i mean it's no way man it's so polluted porna did yeah that's that's what i uh, porna yeah. did um i although i okay. missed it i wish i would have been there for that part but yeah it's not very very safe to do it yeah oh god no but yeah i mean there you know the, the whole kind of attitude is like well this is this is uh immort- you know like not immortality but like this is holy versus a little pollution like what the holy obviously trumps pollution you know sure yeah yeah so I, I did get in the water. I got in like chest deep to photograph, but I did not dunk my head or anything like that. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah you got to get in the water to get good pictures, man, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing time for sure. Looks like it. Yeah. And so, yeah, the next one, I think Nestor said it's 2025. So uh, would you consider going to it again? Or? I mean, yeah, I would consider it. It's I would, don't know how that would actually happen just with a, having a family now and stuff. It's oh yeah, that would be a challenge. But uh, I would, in theory, for sure, I would go definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, let's let's finish with uh okay. Let's do the Fred Fred Gall one. Yeah. Okay. And to my final request or demand. Um, I would like you to share with us all and please us with a good old Fred Gall story <laughs> from anywhere on the planet, your choice. And please also follow up with a Kirill Koropkov one because uh, these two guys are always pretty good at um, creating some chaos or gifting us with some good old souvenirs to take back home. Oh, man. I don't know if I could tell the Fred ones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have, I have a good one. We were going to San Francisco on some trip with like um, Poplardo, Plahowski, Freddie, Salego, and Bill Strobeck, and Lou Metal was there. And mm-hmm. on the flight out, Fred drank a bunch of liquor and ate some Xanax and was basically just blackout on the on the plane and started wiling out, listening to rap music super loud. I was, it was like listening to Ludacris, I think, on the plane, like on his portable <laughs> speaker, sitting next to Lou Metal. And the flight attendants keep coming like, hey, sir, you're going to have to settle down, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. And, and like he kept doing it. He turned, he's, oh, sorry, sorry, turn it off. And then they walk away and like turn it on again, you know. And, and, <laughs> and they got, they're getting irate. And, and he goes, like, sir, you're really going to have to turn that off. And he goes... What are you going to do? Kick me out of the sky. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And then and then when he when we landed, he like passed out, you know, for a while and then woke up and because of the Xanax didn't remember any of it. Uh, sure. yeah, of course. So he gets off. <laughs> he gets off, and all the flight attendants are glaring at him, and he's just like, "Thanks yeah, so like, much hey, for the nice you. flight. Thank you." <laughs> Amazing! Wow. Oh, another one too. We were. I got. Oh God, don't get me started. But one more. In, <laughs> we were in Turkey. Went to Turkey. I got us the crazy budget trip. Like all these trips were so budget. It was like, is this the bare bones minimum money we could get to make them happen, you know? And so, like, we're staying in a youth hostel, but I found this youth hostel. There was eight people on the trip, and I found eight beds in one room, and it was for, like, I don't know, not expensive. So we're all packed in there together on bunks. <laughs> and Fred is, like, getting, doing whatever hard drugs he can find and, like, wiling out. And thank God he's sober now and maintaining yeah, it. Yeah. So it's wonderful for him. But um, at the time, it was a, it was quite... A different... Uh... I was very anxious about how, what was going to happen, you know. For sure. And especially, like, in Turkey, if you get caught with, you know, any... It's, like, a bad yeah. scene, so... So we're like wiling out in this in this hostel, you know, and he like ends up hooking up with this girl and like try like they're like making out in her bunk bed and then like the bed is about to like fall through and like they had a roommate and she was like scared they were gonna fall on top of her and she like <laughs> left the room and then we're like wiling out on the roof getting di like stick and poke tattoos with Spanky was like and and uh, there's a guy up there trying to read this guidebook to India incidentally. And he's like sitting at the other end of this long family style table on the roof of the hostel and, and Fred's like wiling out, you know, and, and Spanky's tattooing him like, uh, God, what was the, I can't remember what he got tattooed. <laughs> Doesn't matter, I guess. And the guy, he goes, he goes, excuse me. He's like, you're being, it's, I cannot listen to English right now. And, uh, <laughs> and Fred is like, what? And he's like, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> and like, anyway, the hotel, the hostel owner comes up. He's like, you guys are going to have to leave, you know? And it's like, oh my God, like, so sorry. Like, please, like, this, they, he's going to go to bed, you know? Yeah, yeah, he like lets it slide. And then the morning, Fred like goes around and like takes out all the trash in all the rooms in the whole hostel and like it puts them in the dumpster. And the guy was just like, oh my God. He's like, you're awesome. Like, thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he knows exactly how far he could push it and then how to turn it around also, you know. But wow. anyway. He's a character. Damn. He is a character. <laughs> I love that dude. And what about Kirill then? Do you have uh, something about Kirill that comes to mind? Jeez, well, on Trans-Siberian, Kirill was like our fixer. But, you know, Kirill and Patrick and I, I don't think ever traveled together. Kirill also went to Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. But on it, uh, I don't know, man. I could. He definitely. I have a picture of him from Trans Siberia, and it was his birthday, and he is eating birthday cake with his hand. 
<laughs> because he didn't have any utensils. He just, like, just stuck his fingers into the top of it and like, took out a big handful of cake. But, I mean, I don't know. He's just like a great positive force and always like super excited to be skating and out there. But I can't think of any like... Oh, actually, here is a pretty good one. He saved the day because we were um, on the very beginning of Trans-Siberian. Mm-hmm. We were trying to get to our train, and there's two train stations across the street from each other in Moscow, and it, we couldn't understand which one our train was leaving from. Probably just because of the language barrier or something. But like, anyway, we're like freaking out, and some random girl. There was like some like groupy chick with us who was like, I don't know, she didn't skate, but she was just hanging around. Maybe she was like hooking up with somebody. But like, okay. She was trying to help us and she like took us to the wrong train station. And then we're anyway, we're going back and forth and Mm. we finally we figure out the train and we get there. And then Keegan was like coming from somewhere else and he was in a taxi and he's stuck in traffic. Anyway, Mm. so we are like on the train. We finally get there and Keegan's not there and we're all stressing out and we've been running around anyway. And anyway, Kirill is like talking to the conductors and just like, I don't know, he's negotiating with these conductors. Basically trying to like keep the train from leaving the station. And this train is like going to freaking China. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And and they're just like, sorry, we're not waiting. But anyway, he's just like holding the train basically. And then we see like Keegan come running across the the um, platform or? the platform but it was like it wasn't just the platform it was like the parking area too and we just see him in the distance and he's just like booking it with his boards and gear and like with a duffel bag <laughs> and like Kirill is like holding the train and then the, the train was started to move out of the station and he comes running and like jumps onto the last car no way and then we were just like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, like freaking out. It was like the most awesome beginning of a trip. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, stressful, but uh, yeah, exciting. so stressful. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, he like saved our asses so many times, like with cops or just getting us the rooms and everything. It's just a great dude. That's it for my conversation with Jonathan. Go check out some of his past and current work on his website marringphoto.com. Marrying has an H between the E and the R. Follow him on Instagram at MarringsBearings and keep an eye open for the Walls Cannot Keep Us From Flying documentary coming out in the next few months. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Borders. <laughs>